Welcome back to Word 2 Literary. I am your host, Kenny. And I am Jonathan. That works. <laughs> That's all we got. <laughs> this week, we're here to bring you an awesome episode about the new, from Marvel, Spider-Man No Way Home. Right? Did I get the title right? <laughs> you did get the title right, and it was a outstanding movie. It really was. You may think this is coming from just a couple of Marvel nut jobs, but I can tell you I enjoy Marvel for, for what it has to offer. But they've had their hits and misses, too. And Mm -hmm. so... And I think highly of this movie, and I think they hit it out of the park. And, you know, they said they weren't going to do an origin story for Spider-Man. But I I strongly believe these three movies are Spider-Man's origin story. Yes, I I would agree with you. The buildup that they've done so far. So let's, let's start right here and just say, spoiler alert, everybody. We're about to talk about one of the biggest movies of 2021. And we are absolutely not going to hold back. So this is your chance. If you want out, go ahead and find another episode that we've recently done. And uh, and we'll catch you when you've had a chance to see the movie. Yeah. When you've watched it, come back, join us. You know, see if you agree with us, see what you think. And let's have some fun. But in the meantime, this is your last warning. We are about to start saying some things that we can't go back on. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. So I, I agree. This was very much a buildup of... Spider-Man in a way that we've never really seen before. With the way that Spider-Man has been in the past with Raimi's series, it was, we're introduced to Peter Parker, Peter Parker loses Uncle Ben, and then we basically jump into the nitty-gritty that is Spider-Man. You know, he, he learns his powers, he goes on to fight villains. I mean, there's both Raimi, both Tobey Maguire and the Garfield movies start with Peter being a nerd, getting bitten by a spider, getting powers, Uncle Ben dying, and him having to, you know, learn the hard way that great line of with great power comes great responsibility. Yep. Whereas with Marvel, they went completely down a different direction. You know, we st- we first see him in Civil War six months after he's donned the suit. We know nothing about how he got bit. We know nothing about Uncle Ben. We just know that he's got some kind of made-up suit and he's been doing stuff around town and Stark has found him and is pulling him into this bigger world. Right. And in the first Spider-Man movie, even it jumps right into the action of things. You don't really, we don't go through the origin story again, which I know a lot of fans were relieved about having to go through. Correct. We've seen it all. We've seen him get bit by a spider repeatedly. We've seen Uncle Ben die. They went a different direction. I think that was a wonderful idea. Yeah. And to take these this trilogy and make it about his origin of becoming Spider-Man is, to me, awesome. Right. Like, he really he really has a stronger sense of, of Spider-Man than I think we've really seen, right? Especially since he's been part of the Avengers. He's experienced the fold of being with a superhero team that gets their butts handed to them uh, as, you, as you progress through the series. Um, mind you, there might be some other spoilers about other MCU movies, but if you haven't seen them by now, I, I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Why are you here if you haven't seen it? Because a lot of these go very much chronological in the sense... I, I, I should rephrase that. As we know, the timelines are kind of out the window with MCU. They're a little vague and murky right now. Right. However, with the with the movies releasing the way that they are, they're obviously doing it in a in a particular order for a reason. And so I would say at this point, you know, we're we're seeing Peter Parker learning 
what it really means to be Spider-Man after already having an opportunity to play around, so to speak, as, as, as a superhero. And so this was where things got really wild for us was we were expecting this movie to kind of go... We were expecting a direction. Like we were expecting it to be a certain way in our heads when we went in. And I know I'm not being very descript about what we were thinking at the time, at least not me. Um, but I would say that I went in not expecting any major characters to not make it through. And I don't know, maybe it was just me that thought Aunt May was a major character. Maybe she's a minor character. Aunt May is a major character. That's what I thought. Aunt May is a major character. But what I realize watching this, Aunt May is the Uncle Ben of the MCU. She's a major character with far more to do and a far greater part to play. But in the end, she played the part of Uncle Ben for this Peter Parker. Yes. She delivered the line of with great power comes great responsibility. It is Peter failing that, you know, is what leads to Aunt May's death, just as it does, you know, for Uncle Ben back in the day. You know, it is his ignoring that thug that leads Uncle Ben getting shot. Right. So it's a really good point. Yeah. There's a part of me that looked at that as almost fridging a character, you know, that idea that you are killing somebody to torture or give the main character drive. And in a way you are, but I almost have some forgiveness for it because I realized like the role she plays, she is the uncle Ben and she is setting Peter down the path to lead him to be the amazing Spider-Man. I agree with you. It is very much like you said in the beginning, this has very much been a buildup something that we haven't really experienced in the same vein that we have with the previous Spider-Mans, right? As, as we talked about, it basically covers the, we meet Peter, he has his catalyst, he becomes Spider-Man, right? In, in a big way. This time it was Peter Spider-Man. He's playing around as Spider-Man. Aunt May doesn't know he's Spider-Man yet, but then finds out that he's Spider-Man. Mind you, this is in the first couple of movies, not the, not the most recent one she knows. Correct. And then, in a way, we got a lot more Uncle Ben, quote unquote, than we did with the previous movies because Aunt May plays a significant role. The thing that really kind of threw me is the fact that, like, this time that means Peter is left with no one. Correct. And that is, by and large, the biggest difference that I've seen from a, from a Spider Man arc. At the end of this, he is alone and isolated nobody remembers him he does not exist and it is a dark place to put him in you know i'm intensely curious where they're going to go because there's already been you know confirmation that there's going to be another trilogy of spider-man movies and i just the best i know and i do believe that we will see him in other movies kind of showing up i'm sure there's going to be another like team-up movie oh, at some point. Well, even in just some cameo stuff, we got a lot of Doctor Strange in this one, which, did. granted, he played a critical role in the development of everything that happens. It's not often that we get as many superheroes as we did in a single, like, in a, in a film that's meant to be about one particular hero, right? With Doctor Strange, it was pretty much just, it, it was just strange. I don't think Correct. there was any appearances from anybody else. I don't Which, believe so. With Spider-Man, we've gotten appearances from Iron Man. We've gotten appearances from Strange now. That may be it, but I mean, we've even had still. like, Hulk, not Hulk, we had uh, Fury. 
Oh, that's we right. We had Maria Hill. Yep. You know, we had those kind of tertiary characters. Which, yeah, you just don't get that in in the the storytelling that we used to see with superhero movies. Like when it was about that hero, it was about that hero. And there was a villain and we were excited about whatever villain it might have been. But otherwise, that was it. We didn't get anything else. Th- this movie was just great. It was it, it was really was fantastic with what you were saying about Aunt May being fridged. I, I agree at this point that your your argument about her being the critical figure in Peter's life this time is really the is really the point here. Like they wanted to make her a catalyst. And as much as I think that the story would have stayed relatively the same because Aunt May had such an impact on Peter with everything that she instilled upon him, you know, be greater, have kindness to others and give, even if you don't get anything in return, right? Yeah. Just help and be helped in in a way. They kind of picked up a little bit of what we were getting from even the Marvel Spider-Man video game. Like Aunt May is part of feast, right? She, Mm -hmm. she helps out with the homeless of New York. She's part of that organization. and, And that's what she, we meet green goblin with her, Correct. Like one of the scariest villains that you could possibly imagine Aunt May meeting, he ends up there, right? And she's just like, Peter, help him. Mm-hmm. He needs help. He's he's mentally out there. He needs your help. Correct. Even though it was very clear that the man could be extraordinarily dangerous, she still was like, Peter, help. She saw the humanity in him and refused to let Peter not see that, not understand that even though he may be a villain of some sort, there's still a human being right there that is desperate for help yeah. and wants it and needs it. And when you consider that Norman Osborn had essentially the split personality of himself and the goblin, right? Where it's the goblin's really the only one wanting to do evil. And Norman's the one that's like, I, I don't even remember when these things happen. Once I get, you know, consumed by the, the goblin, he mm-hmm. loses his memory. It's like, an unfortunate roofie, right? Not that there's ever a fortunate roofie. God. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. However, at the end of the movie, time. at the end of the movie, let's let's, you know, Doctor Strange basically cast a roofie spell on the entirety of the world. Correct. It's <laughs> a horrible That's horrible. a horrible analogy, sir. <laughs> it is. But yes, at the end, everyone forgets who Peter is. Yeah. Peter, there are so many hints there at the end that Peter technically no longer exists. I mean, there's that GED book in his box. I'm pretty sure he no longer has a high school diploma. He doesn't exist in the sense that he never went to school. He has no way to prove who he is. Yeah. But, you know, how does that work? Because I believe Spider-Man still exists. You see from the J. Jonah Jameson little clip from the Daily Fix at the end that Spider-Man is still a menace. He still has done the things he's done. As far as Jonah's concerned, he's still a menace. Correct. But <laughs> so we haven't erased Spider-Man. We've erased Peter Parker. Yeah. Nobody remembers who Peter Parker is. And 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 granted, also, you know, with Aunt May having passed, there's nobody left that really needed to necessarily know, other than those that Peter wanted to know, like MJ and Ned, probably even everybody on the Avengers. But mm-hmm. We did figure out, too, that because of how he particularly phrased it, it does mean that the Avengers still know Spider-Man and still will work with Spider-Man more than likely. Correct. They just won't know who's behind the mask anymore. 
Yeah. Uh, the other thing that was interesting is there was a while back that they were talking about a uh, Craven the Hunter potentially being a Spider-Man villain. And I wonder if that might be how they answer the whole Doctor Strange wiped out everybody's memory of Peter Parker. So does Craven the Hunter have some sort of extra level ability to figure things out because he was notorious for being able to track down and, and find That's his targets. So it's interesting thought, but beside the point, I suppose. I can see the thing about Craven is he's a Spider-Man villain, so I'm pretty sure the rights there are owned by Sony at the moment. Right. Which is probably why he hasn't been introduced, but that would make for a great fourth movie villain. It really, it really would, yeah. And to start reestablishing who Peter is in the MCU. Yeah, that would be that would be a, a really good way, I would think, to handle that situation. So, again, I, I can agree with you at this point about Aunt May. However, I still kind of like look at it from a... If the events that led up to Aunt May's death didn't result in her death, I still think that the overall result would have been... Maybe a little less character building for Peter, primary Peter, <laughs> and he wouldn't have gone through what would essentially be his vengeance arc, right? Because it really was leaning up towards vengeance before. Correct. He wanted revenge. He wanted he to kill Green Oscar. Goblin. Yeah, it was it. Very intense. It had probably one of the best, in my opinion, third act uh, superhero fights we've probably seen. Um, and of course, that kind of leads up to some very interesting bits with being introduced to the earlier Spider-Mans, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. They were fantastic. I thought it was a really nice segue, even though the moment was extraordinarily sad to go from the scene of Aunt May dying and Peter running away mm -hmm. to seeing the very first, like, okay, we're getting introduced to another Peter Parker here because Ned's like, Oh, we got to find Peter. And, and actually we'll, we'll circle back on this, but Ned demonstrates a little bit of mystic power, right? He throws down some he Dr. Did. Strange style, <laughs> opening some portals, right? Correct. Which is, Entertaining and fun. And it, you know, makes you wonder where are they gonna go with Ned. And nice that they threw him a bone though. Like he's yeah. sitting there looking at Peter, you know, being absolutely admirable about Peter being a hero and not complaining one bit that he doesn't have powers, but then to suddenly just find out that he might have a little bit of the uh, ability himself. It was like, oh snap, Ned gets to have a little fun too. So we get introduced at that moment to Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. And there was a wonderful interaction there that I just think from a storytelling point and from a dialogue point, it was it was primo. It was it was a delight to have MJ question his authenticity as a Spider-Man to the point of where he jumps up, attaches himself to the ceiling with one hand. And she's like, no, you got to crawl across the ceiling before I'm going to believe you. And he's like, really? Is this necessary? I know it was. To me, a little over the top. I mean, it was very entertaining. I'm just not sure if I, you know, Ned just opens a portal and this guy now is hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. And I get that she's, you know, the cynic and the skeptical one, but it felt a little much. It went a little too long, but I still enjoyed it. And I think the reason that that might have happened uh, was because we had just endured 
the death of Aunt May. So they were trying to throw some comedic value in to kind of lighten sure. things up a bit. And of course, that did kind of distract, right? Like, at least for me, I felt like I was still sitting there thinking, damn, we lost Aunt May. This really sucks. But at the same time, I'm like, Spider-Man's on the screen and it's not it's not Tom Holland. <laughs> I know, I know. It was so great. And I mean, they spent months and everyone kept denying that they're in this movie. Yeah. And yet nobody believed them. And nobody, yeah. And then and then we got exactly what we wanted. Um, so then shortly afterwards, they introduced Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man by same method, portal opens, except behind them. And he just comes walking through. And he, Tobey Maguire has earned so many points as an actor for me in this particular scene because he just walks in with this big grin on his face. And he's just like, hey, I I hope you don't mind that I just stepped through the portal here, but I mean, it was there and you're here. And then he spots Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and they have a little bit of like a quick, they're eyeballing each other super hard. And then they immediately react and both shoot web at each other. Which I didn't understand that, but it was entertaining. It was entertaining, but it was like, do you really think that if you see another Spider-Man, they're going to be a threat? They're probably on the same team. So of course they diffuse that situation quickly. Then we get more of an opportunity to do kind of experience both Peter Maguire and Peter Garfield's point of views. Yes, that's how I'm going to refer to them that because works. it gets really confusing when you're watching the movie. Believe mm-hmm. me, at one point they even go so far as to refer to themselves as meta commentary there. Spider Man One, Spider Man Two, and Spider Man Three. <laughs> right? I prefer Spider Man Prime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you get to get a little bit of an introduction to what happened with Peter Garfield. And his backstory. And then we get a little bit of Peter Maguire's backstory. And that was really... It was just really welcoming to kind of get a quick catch-up. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was like a little reunion you didn't know you wanted. And I think they handled their, their dialogue really well. Their lines were meaningful and impactful. They really made you feel warm and fuzzy. Yes, they did. They made you feel their pain and what they went through. Like when they are talking about their uncle Ben's or where they're, what they've been through and where they're at in their universe, the way that their eyes welled up with tears as they were talking about their, their past, uh, you know, and, and their catalysts as becoming Mm -hmm. the best Spider-Man's they could be. It was like, yo, I feel this right now. And it was kind of, loosely reliving that heartbreak you know you could see the pain in their eyes Mm -hmm. and i think that they handled that whole situation really nicely but this is right when they're introducing themselves to peter holland Mm -hmm. and we're getting that whole experience of all three of them finally being together and of course without spoiling too much of like specific dialogue events and everything, they definitely have some callbacks, some great quips that they throw around and, and they just have fun with each other. And it looks like the three of them together just had a blast doing this. And Mm -hmm. it was extraordinary to see it unfold on the big screen. It was. And it's a little disappointing to think that we may not get to see it again. Who knows where we're going? I mean, Sony is definitely doing a huge, like, Spider-Verse thing because they have the animated Miles Morales stuff. They have the Venom who gets his own little like a stinger at the end. We'll <laughs> see how that's going to play out. It was amazing though. So then we get going with the villains of the story. Yes. Right. The villains in this story were what we we were expecting the Sinister Six. 
and we got the Sinister Five. Yeah, we got almost a Sinister Six. Correct. Uh, and it and it was really it was really cool. So they went to some lengths, I imagine, to be able to pull the original actors back to really to really do this. And I have to tell you, it was one of the best things I could have asked for in terms of just the authenticity of it all, the way that it just made something that could be a multiverse. Mm-hmm. If, if we didn't get those original actors to reprise their roles, this would not have been the same multiverse experience and they may not have gone through with it. Correct. It would have been a different story because you wouldn't have that same connection to them. Yeah. You know, seeing Alfred Molina as Doc Ock again was outstanding. It was amazing. Yeah. You know, like without him, if it was, you know, any other actor and you were told it's, you know, Toby's Doc Ock, you would have been like, okay, whatever. It wouldn't have that same impact. You know, the same with William Dafoe as, you know, as Norman Osborn. Yeah. Like he brings so much to the character and his scenes. And you have, if you've at least watched the previous movies, you have that connection and you remember all, all the scenery chewing he does before and how he does it again. And he, you know, delivers that wonderful line. He does. Tell him. <laughs> you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. It was beautiful. It was it was just great listening to him say his his original famous line that became a wonderful meme. Uh, just it was it was it was spot on. We got like you said, Alfred Alfred Molina as Doc Ock again. That was the very first one we're introduced to right on the bridge as Peter's trying to handle some issues with regard to his current status in society. Yeah, because everybody knows. Peter is Spider-Man now because Mysterio... Correct. His secret's out, and it is doing a number on his life and his friends' lives. And so we get introduced to Doc Ock there, and then right after we get introduced to Doc Ock and Spider-Man more or less gets the upper hand and and finally looks like he's about to win, suddenly the Green Goblin appears and throws a pumpkin bomb on the bridge. Mm -hmm. And then next thing we know... Strange has pulled Peter into his wizard dungeon <laughs> and explains that, you know, others from the multiverse have started to make their way through that know who Peter is. Okay. And it was because Peter screwed up the spell by making too many requests. And here we are. Correct. You know, Peter was childish. He wanted to have his cake and eat it too, so to speak. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be able to have everyone forget, except for the people he wanted to remember, because he didn't want to have to go through that aspect of having to tell them again. And that childishness, that juvenile Spider-Man, is what causes these problems. You know, that leads to the multiverse, you know, splitting in. It leads to Aunt May and her death. And it leads to all the villains that we end up seeing. So from Doc Ock to Green Goblin, we eventually find, I think it was Electro next. Yep, Electro and Sandman. And Sandman, which, yeah, we'll we'll delve into each one of these individually here because we definitely have some words about their choices on how things unfolded story-wise. But then after we get Sandman, uh, we... Well, okay, we did find out after Strange captured Ock... Doc Ock, we found out that Strange had already captured Connors. That's correct. Uh, AKA Lizard. 
And that makes five. That makes five. So one at a time. Doc Ock, phenomenal. His story part, every step of the way, he actually was a great addition, a great character, made a lot of made a lot of things happen mm-hmm. throughout the interactions that he had on screen. And then Goblin, superbly villainous. As always. Oh. William Defoe just choose the scenery. He, you know, you see him and you can tell there's a difference between Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin. Right. He's just got a wicked face. Like when he's doing that smirk mm-hmm. and he's the Green Goblin, like his teeth are showing. Oh, it, it looked vicious. menacing, vicious. Yeah, it was it was gnarly. And he handled the split personality thing beautifully again. Like his initial I'm just Norman Osborn and I'm a good guy mm-hmm. to suddenly shifting gears when all of a sudden he was Green Goblin again. It was just like, whoa, total 180. You weren't expecting it. It was very, very well done and reminded me of his original menacing self. Correct. Then we got Electro. Yeah. Electro, I think, was the next like primary one that made a made a significant yeah, change I mean, in the story. He shows up, you know, looking entirely different than he did in Garfield's universe. A lot less scraggly. Yeah, a little bit more, I think, true to, like, his comic look, especially later when he's, like, super powered up. Every time he, like, charges a blast, you see, like, his original Silver Age look or whatever it's from, where it's, like, that electric star pattern over his face. Yeah. Which I thought was a great little, like, cameo or callback. What do you want to call it? It was fantastic to see it. These little flashes. Yeah, his his arc was, well, no pun intended, I suppose, but... <laughs> Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Electro's plot was very solid. He still had that I desire power above all else kind of attitude about him and wanted to, you know, wanted to just be his best self, mm-hmm. live his best life, but do so his way with Correct. a lot of electricity. He thought he had to have power to be able to be somebody and mean something. And this is a good uh, a good uh, point to mention as well that the tech doesn't exist in all of these universes either, right? So Correct. we get introduced to the fact, or he gets introduced rather, to the fact that there that tony stark perfected the arc reactor yep when he discovers the arc reactor he's like there is some power there that i have never seen before or experienced before and he wants it because it's going to give him so much power correct well, and that's where it's the power of the sun in your hand mm-hmm. which also is the callback to alfred Molina and doc ock and the first spider-man and what he's trying to do and the second spider-man oh my bad second spider-man it was it was very interesting to kind of see these characters handle the elements of a universe that they hadn't been a part of originally mm-hmm. in a way that it was like very new to them. But they were, you know, taking that in as a wow, this place is way better, you way know? different. And and in a way, it's also like a, it also speaks to how Sony kind of handled the, the first set of films. You know, they kind of dogged on him a little bit to be like, yeah, things are way better now than this is in the MCU. <laughs> it is a great point to make. Yeah, I didn't even I pick up on that. <laughs> and, you know, maybe it wasn't intended, but it, that is, um, you know, a little bit of meta commentary there that, yeah, things are working a lot better now and it's flowing a lot better. And they all wanted to be a part of this universe or this meta. They wanted to say, 
multiverse. Yeah, um, multiverse. Yeah, they wanted to be a part of this one. They wanted to stay, but in the end, they had to go home. Uh, then we got then we got Sandman and Connors, and they didn't add a whole lot. I, you're right. I mean, I it was enjoyable seeing these characters again, seeing the same actress play them. But they didn't really do much. They didn't bring much to the story, they which is my my big problem. Like they felt a little shoehorned in. It I find it a little odd that Sandman would work with Electro on this. Yeah, he wants to go home. Electro wants to stay. So why would he be helping? Because he's not going to get home unless they all go home. Right. And this was kind of third act area where. Initially, when we get introduced to Electro and Sandman, Sandman actually helps Peter out with a little bit of crowd control, so to speak, and and helps kind of get both of them, both of them captured. I guess, like, yeah. So once every once everybody's been brought together, like we we started to get a little bit more of an understanding of what each one of these characters was going to give in the story. And then when we got to Flint and we got to Doctor Connors, and and they started to kind of like develop them a little bit they didn't really give us anything that was meaningful. Like you said, Sandman wanted to go home. We know his motivation is to just see his daughter again. Correct. So him preventing Peter from trying to help cure them so that they can go home was just kind of a why. And then Connor's lizard, he just, he was there. He helped toss Peter around a little bit, but otherwise he didn't really do much else. And it wasn't like, I, I get that that's what, what a villain does is he beats up the bad guy. But at the same time, like usually there's some sort of motivation there. And I would say that with Dr. Connors, the one motivation that he has is that he believes that, you know, being a lizard person is the genetic perfection that everybody should be like him. So stopping, stopping the Peters from trying to cure him made sense in that regard. But outside of that, it didn't really, he still wanted to go home. Maybe well, actually, did he ever say that he wanted to go home? I don't remember anything there about whether he wanted to go home or stay or anything about a motivation from him. Other than there's that great little quip about there always being consequences when he grabs Peter and throws him back into the window to keep fighting Norman. And then he disappears after that. Yeah. He chases them around at the Statue of Liberty, but there's still not a whole lot that he's doing. There's no motivation. I don't really know this character or his purpose. We know from previous movies what he wants to do. But he's not doing much here. And and at one point, they even go so far as to joke about the fact that he they didn't even know he could talk initially. So while they're in the wizard dungeon, Doctor Strange is that what we're calling the wizard dungeon. That's what they called it. <laughs> they yeah. called it the wizard dungeon. While they were in Doctor Strange's dungeon, they these guys are all being held captive by Doctor Strange's magic. And when you first see Connors, he just kind of gives you, "I'm feral." I'm yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna eat ya. And you can tell he the fight between him and Strange, he definitely got in a few good hits. Strange is a little beat up. Yeah. Would have yeah. been entertaining was, to see that. It would have been, and I don't understand why they didn't maybe they will in like an extended release or, or some extra scenes or something when the movie comes out on Blu-ray or streaming. But yeah, you're right. It didn't make a lot of sense to omit the whole fight scene between the two of them because it looked like it could have been epic. Yeah. However, and I know that we didn't necessarily suggest we were going to discuss this part, but I did think that the Doctor Strange Spider-Man fight in the mirror dimension was definitely worth the screen time. Oh, yeah. 100%. Entertaining. It was interesting to see Peter work out that it was based on geometry and using math. 
he was able to restrain Strange and get the upper hand. Which and then was actually out. that moment was just like a oh oh you, you you know you bite your fist you're just like this isn't good yeah <laughs> yeah and that yeah that was uh, that was definitely a fun moment won't say too much more about that just have fun watching it when it happens it's it's a great moment gosh if you haven't seen it though. If you haven't seen it, though, and you're listening to this right now, I'm so sorry. You should know. We're giving you spoilers. All We're basically revealing the whole movie right now. So at the end of the day, it just felt like the Sinister Six or five in this case really probably could have been the Sinister Three and still accomplished the same thing. Correct. Um, there was a couple of moments, I'd say, where Lizard has some... Things that happen that kind of shift how the fight's going. Same with Sandman. Outside of that, they they neutralize both of them relatively quickly. And the the true threats were Ock and... Or not Ock, but uh, Electro and Green Goblin. Correct. So, uh, well, actually, I guess it was the Sinister too, if you really think about it. Well, once they neutralize Doc Ock and bring him around, yes. Yeah, because... Earlier on, they actually provide a neural chip implant that fixes the problem Doc Ock was having with his arms. So he no longer has the voices in his head and he's able to control himself and he feels like the original Otto Octavius. And he is thrilled. He's like, I'm here to help. And that was really cool because he's he's a character that ah, I love him. Like he's actually a really great villain in Spider-Man 2. And right. even coming back now as a villain turned hero-y, Oh, yeah. And I mean, the character just has so much potential. Yeah. You know, we've seen a great Otto Octavius in the Spider-Man game, watching him develop that relationship with Peter and all that. That's entertaining. I love it. The Lady Octavius in Into the Spider-Verse. Very evil. Yes. Very entertaining. Like a female alpha chewed the scene, was entertaining to watch, had some great points. Oh, yeah. She she was a lot of fun in general, just as her Doc Ock development happened. It was just okay, you're you're the you're a baddie. <laughs> like, yeah. This is this is not there there's no there's no redemption arc for you for you from what I can see. So yes, in the end, I would say that the we got to see a lot of really cool villains, but really it could have it could have ultimately been just a couple. Uh, but I'm not ungrateful. Correct. I mean, it was fun seeing them. I think they could have taken Sandman's role and added it to Connor, give him more screen time, more to do, or vice versa. I feel strong that those two characters just didn't do a lot. Yeah, Sandman helps bring down Electro in the very beginning, you know, when they first show up, but otherwise. He's fighting against Peter, and it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. He wants to go home. Electra's not going to send him home. So why isn't he helping? And it then, didn't make a lot of sense. It didn't. And then, like I said, Connors just doesn't do a lot. Gets a little villainy. It's a little entertaining, and he is a threat to Ned and MJ. But could you have added that to Green Goblin or, you know, Electro or any, do you just scrap that and go somewhere else with it? Especially, too, since they kind of, like, wound up not bringing in Goblin until the very last moment of that, right? He was the very last villain we see during this this final fight scene. And to have the Peters interact in a way where we got full development from them, because if you think about it, in each instance of the Spider-Man series, we've gotten a full breakdown of... Peter Maguire, we've gotten a full breakdown of Peter Garfield, 
and we've seen the backstories for each one of the villains. Mm -hmm. So we already have that information. We know what it is with the exception of those that are coming into this fresh, which I mean, if, if they are, you should really consider going back to watch the originals because they're still worth, they're worth a watch. And you know, you bring up an interesting point there. Like there's a, there's a number of callbacks in this film to previous events that, you know, without that knowledge, don't actually have the same effect. Right. Watching Peter Garfield catch MJ and save her when he failed to with Gwen, like without knowing that, that doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't make as much sense when you watch his emotional reaction to being able to save MJ. Well, and when you see MJ falling and uh, Peter Holland goes to say, save her and ends up getting totally clipped by Green Goblin and then... Peter Garfield gets to take the opportunity to save her and successfully does so. What they did in that moment was almost the same as what happened with Gwen. Like she falls in the same fashion. The Correct. difference was this time Peter Garfield was like, I'm not going to use my web. Correct. <laughs> Peter Garfield was able to save her when he wasn't able to save Gwen. And it felt like a redemption and Peter Garfield played it beautifully. Like you could see the pain and the emotion of him and the relief. Knowing he, that he saved her. Correct. He was redeemed. He felt he had finally redeemed himself. Right. Which was just amazing to see play out. Yes. That was that was excellent. The uh, what are the callbacks were there? <laughs> I mean, there's the the comment of the power of the sun in your hand, which is kind of just a great little nod to previous events. Right. I swear there's a couple memes in there. There's at least a couple points where they're all three Spider-Mans are like talking, looking at each other. That feels like it's, you know, that, what is it? That like Saturday morning cartoon or newspaper print. We're all just pointing where at each all other. Pointing at each other. Yeah. yeah. So when they first meet each other and they're all standing up on the roof together, like there was definitely a moment where I felt that that was probably the closest thing we were going to get to that particular meme was the three of them standing there being like, wait a minute, hold on, what? And they're, they're kind of looking at each other before, you know, before they finally break the news that it's him from another universe mm -hmm. sort of thing. The other one that was kind of a, a nod to the Green Goblin was when during the fight with Peter in the in the building hallway and with Aunt May, one of the last things Goblin does is chuck in a pumpkin bomb and it flies past Peter's face the same way that it did in Peter McGuire's movies where he reaches out to try and catch it and misses and it blows up in his face and throws him back. And the same thing happened there with Peter Holland and, and Aunt May. Mm -hmm. They get tossed, Correct. you they know, get tossed, because get he bases real bad. So that was uh, that was kind of a neat callback to the to the Green Goblin. There was lots of mentions of like Electro and his experience with becoming Electro by falling into a vat of eels. <laughs> There's Sandman falling into the Large Hadron Collider yep. or, or whatever he explains it as. Apparently falling is a bad thing for these guys. Yeah. There's even a little nod to the fact that Electro looks vastly different in this compared to how he did in, oh, yeah. in Peter Garfield. The comb over is gone. He looks cleaner, more kind. Like it was just, it was actually just Jamie Foxx being Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Like that was just, he, it almost makes you wonder if he was like, hey guys, like, can I just, can I just look like me this time, please? Yeah. I don't want to go through makeup. <laughs> I don't know. That's just me speculating, of course. But yeah, the, there was the callback to 
I think you pointed out that Wong, how the trailer ended up being different. Yes. I thought it was really interesting. Like, we know that they make these trailers and they alter stuff, so it's a surprise. But they altered some, like, scenes that really set a different tone. Because in the trailer, we see Wong warn Strange not to perform the spell. And Strange, you know, agrees and then gives Peter a wink. Yep. And he never winks at Peter. Wong never says that. He just says to be left out of it. It's interesting. I'm curious about the decisions that go behind that. Because mm-hmm. it is definitely setting up a different expectation, a different, you know, plot than right. what actually happens. And we see Wong go into a portal as he's leaving Peter and Strange there after saying, leave me out of this. Mm -hmm. And he walks into what appears to be related to the Shang-Chi movie. Correct. If we're we're trying to figure out the timeline on these, I wonder if Wong leaving is then and is followed by Wong fighting the abomination in Shang-Chi, which Mm. sets a little, sets an interesting like timeline of events and how it all works out. Right. We definitely know it's all really murky. All these events are five years later, because that's where Endgame ends up at, which Avengers Infinity Wars 2018, that puts these about 2023, but we're not seeing any solid evidence of the date, even though we had previously. Mm-hmm. We see on May's tombstone, it just says... 20 and two, and then you don't know the, the year. Yeah, 202X. Exactly. Essentially. We know a similar thing happens in Hawkeye. There's a poster, I believe, in a scene about a date for, I want to say, a play or something else. I'm a little fuzzy on that. It was probably the ridiculous Captain America play. <laughs> Maybe, which, if you haven't watched Hawkeye, you should. It's fantastic. But the Rogers musical, I would pay to see that. Would you really? I would. The at the end of the series, <laughs> them getting to watch that one scene where the it's I forget the song, but it plays out with actual I believe actual Broadway yeah. cast. It's amazing. It, it was so good. It was highly amusing. That's what it was. The other callback that I thought was fun uh, was the fact that Strange blipped out with with a lot of the others, and when he came back. Peter's walking into the Sanctum Santorum and goes, I thought you were the Sorcerer Supreme. He's like, well, I kind of blipped out for the last five years, so Wong got it by default. And I was like, wait, so Strange isn't Sorcerer Supreme anymore? Yes. Wong is? And I, great. I thought that was a really nice callback to the, to the blip. Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of moments. I'm probably going to have to go see the movie at least two or three more times to really catch everything. And yeah. Down the road, maybe there will be a little revisit of of this discussion to uh, to tap into a few more things that we noticed afterward. There's some great things that they're setting up. Story-wise, we know somebody bought the Avengers building, and we don't know who. Mm -hmm. There's been speculation that maybe it was Osborne and he was going to develop Oscorp, or it was going to be the Baxter building now. And we still don't know, but we know from this movie... Osborne doesn't exist in this world. No, there is no Oscorp. There is no Norman Osborne. There is no Harry Osborne. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Which to that point as well, you reminded me of another great callback was when the, at one point the Peters are together in a, like, I think it's like the school science lab and they're, and they're working on some stuff together. And Ned walks over to, uh, 
Peter McGuire and asks him about, you know, did you ever have a best friend? And he's like, yeah, I did. He died in my arms. He also tried to kill me. And Ned just like looks totally taken aback and just kind of like sidesteps away and 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 just is like, okay. Yeah, and then starts leaving Peter Holland alone, you know, worried that he might become a villain that has to fight his friend. And so at, at one point afterward, Peter Holland asks Ned to do something and Ned's like, oh, by the way, I promise you, I'm never going to be evil and try to kill you. <laughs> And I, I thought that was that was a really well done bit. You're right. There was no Osborne of any kind in Peter Holland's universe. Correct. And so with that, it does open up the idea that like if somehow Osborne were to make it back at this point, I have to imagine even though they all went home, they're all very aware of the existence of the multiverse now. Sure. Which means that there could be developments down the road that lead to more multiverse stuff. Of course, we've got Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming, but I don't know if that's going to seal that I, arc or not. In some ways, I think it has to. Something's not maybe the clearest, but I'm thinking that's what they went with is that everyone across every universe has forgotten who Peter Parker is. So does that have ramifications for Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's world, but it doesn't undo the events. And you you wonder how those universes have changed and if they will play out in some fashion. Because they're trying to imply that Doc Ock is not going to die at the end of Spider-Man 2 because he's going to go back to when he left and is going to not be trying to kill Peter and, you know, create this device right. anymore. And Norman Osborn is going to be cured of his insanity in a fashion, or maybe it's not his insanity so much. He's going to be cured of the Green Goblin. Right. Who is evil and wicked. Yeah. Electro had the power uh, essentially eked out of him, like it fully Correct. removed. He's no longer electric based and Sandman's now human again. Dr. Correct. Connors is human. The one thing that was interesting with Connors that I would like to know more about if they ever, if they ever decide to continue with these characters and their arcs is when he turned back into a human, did he have his arm? I would imagine so, because usually that's how it's played out. And I mean, it would make sense that like as a reptile, it it reformed and it came back. So wouldn't it just return to a human form? Probably, but I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, he's still he's not insane. He may still want to be the lizard and mm-hmm. come up with the serum again to become the lizard. I'm sure he probably still has interest in that since he still thinks it's the genetic perfection. At the same time, if he has his arm back, maybe he won't worry about it as much because he doesn't have a reason to regrow. Fair enough. I really loved Spider-Man No Way Home. I would love to go back and even kind of do some analysis analysis and dissection of the uh, first two. Sure. And have some fun with doing some theory crafting and also just continuing to discuss the the way that it was written, the way that it was done, how everything just kind of came together in this nice, neat, awesome movie that gave us so much more than we really expected. Like, it actually, it went above and beyond. I would agree. I mean, it did the typical, you know, third movie in a trilogy thing where it took a whole bunch of villains and shoved it in, which we saw with uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 3. Right. But I thought, with a few exceptions, did it really well and had a great payoff. I mean, this movie is outstanding and has set up Peter for the next stage of his life. Right. 
And they don't leave you feeling bad by the end of this, mind you. Like everything that happens really does kind of put a damper on things because you're just like, oh crap, you're like, this is what we're going to do now. Mm-hmm. And it is an interesting way to also like potentially even reboot something. Right. Well, and I think they have because we're now seeing the friendly neighborhood Spider Man. He doesn't have Stark's tech, he's got a homemade suit mm-hmm. and he is living a broke ass life in what looks like a really shitty apartment. And the ultimate callback for me at this point would be to see Peter taking pictures of Spider-Man for J. Jonah Jameson. (laughs) That would be outstanding. I don't know if they're going to go there. We have not seen this Peter do anything with photography. You're right. He has not done anything with photography, really. Um, So we'll we'll just have to see where it goes. But our verdict is this was a great movie story-wise. It connects a lot of dots. It really does a a good job of, you know, giving you the full... There's not much left out. There doesn't feel like a ton of plot holes. It felt really well-rounded and Mm -hmm. and fun. Highly recommend. If you haven't seen it and you're still listening to this, please go listen to it now. Or go watch it now. Go go Go, watch this movie if you are listening to this. Shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, thank you very much for joining us this week on We're Too Literary. And we'll see you guys next time. Be sure to uh, smash that like and subscribe button. No, you want to hit that subscribe button, though. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. You know, if there's any suggestions for what you'd like to hear us share our ideas on, you know, just drop us a line. Yeah, please let us know. And we'll catch you all next time. See ya. <laughs> nice.